Well, good morning. It is good for us to be together. We have had a very encouraging, uplifting week you know, with our brother Jason coming and exhorting us and edifying us with the word, challenging us and admonishing us in our fight for truth and for righteousness. And he has reminded us that you know, we are in a war We are on the battlefield of life as it is our task to turn away from evil ourselves as we adhere and uphold to the truth, the truth of God's word. And we recognize that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the one who possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. His authority is above all principalities and all powers it is a he you know, that has, you know, teaches, as, for example, in Matthew, you know, talked about how he taught as one having authority. Well, why? Well, because he did. He had authority, and that authority resided in him because the fullness of deity dwelt in him bodily. He was Emmanuel. He was God in the flesh. And it is his word that revealed to us, you know, the authority of God because that word is the word of God and it is the word of God and it's his word because he is the son of God. As disciples of Jesus, as Christians, we are students and we are adherers to the master and of the master who are ever trying to learn and follow that word and do so rightly, do so properly according to the Lord's plan, the Lord's way. This year we have been looking at a number of lessons related to the authority of Jesus Christ. And we, from time to time, need to remind us ourselves of how important this is Not only because we have a great respect for the authority of Christ, but because we are on the battlefield of life and we are constantly being allured and tempted and tested to draw away from that authority in one way or another. And we know of people that are very dear to us who once walked in our judgment, in the faith, faithfully, and are no longer walking faithfully according to the authority of Jesus Christ. And so we see the importance of us reminding ourselves of things that we know and the importance of grounding ourselves in, those, in the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of God and Christ, but also as we bring up the next generation how they need to understand the importance of authority and how to go about to know it and to learn it and to apply it. The teaching of Christ or the will of Christ is communicated to us in inspired divine documents. And that's what the New Testament is. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament are inspired of God. They are God-breathed to us. And in those documents, we have the Lord Jesus Christ telling us what he wants us to know and how to do it. It also has him showing us what he wants us to know and how to do it. And thirdly, he also implies 
what he expects us to understand based upon what he's told us and shown us. After three years of teaching and preaching about the coming of the kingdom himself, Jesus then commissioned chosen men, chosen messengers to take his message, to take his word to the world. And that's what we call often as the Great Commission. And you see it recorded in Matthew 28. You see it recorded in Luke 24 as well, where Jesus sending out his apostles to proclaim the gospel, that divine power that can save believers who have put their trust in the Lord and follow him. But are the quotations of Jesus only things that we need to follow? You know, there are some people who teach and suggest that only, the only thing that matters is what Jesus specifically said in the Gospels, in some of our older, perhaps, versions, you know, we call the red-letter editions. And so you think of those red-letter editions, and you have the quotation of Jesus highlighted, and there are those who would suggest, you well, you know, that's the only thing you need to be concerned about. Well, is that true? And so that's the challenge this morning for us to see that we need to answer that question by the Scriptures. Another way of asking the same question is, are Christians, are churches required to adhere, to follow, to obey what his apostles and prophets taught and wrote? Is that just as authoritative as the red letters of Jesus in the Gospels? So we're looking at that this morning. The idea, you have chosen messengers of divine authority. And we begin looking in 2 Peter chapter 1. At the very end of 2 Peter chapter 1, the Apostle Peter writes about divine inspiration and the process of that in a very brief way. And so you pick up our reading there in verse 19 of the first chapter of 2 Peter. He says, so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this, know this first of all, the no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Men of God were chosen, and they were then moved by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God. Jesus did not leave his salvation. He did not leave his church to that direction of man's fallible thoughts. He didn't leave it up to just what men think about it. Neither did he leave it up to their fallible opinions or their, their fallible emotions. No, God's prophets and God's apostles were 
directed or guided by the Holy Spirit to speak God's word. And that's exactly what Peter writes is exactly what Jesus promised back in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 16, in the upper room, before he goes to the garden to be betrayed and then to the cross to atone for the, the, the sins of mankind, Jesus was preparing his apostles for what is about to come and what must follow after he leaves. And in John 16, starting there in verse 12, it says, Jesus is speaking here. So this would have been one of those red letter edition uh, areas. Jesus speaking here, I have many more things to say to you. He says, I have a lot more to tell you my apostles, he says, but you cannot bear them now. You're not ready for it. But, verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, so someone else is coming after I'm gone, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears He will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. And all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So you see see here the, the triune nature of God at work. So the Spirit and the Son and the Father are all working together here. And that point the Godhead is clearly brought out in these chapters in this section of John. But we're trying to emphasize the fact that Jesus promised those apostles in that room that when I am gone, there is another being of deity, another one of the Godhead, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the Comforter, the Helper. He is going to guide you. He's going to guide you into all truth because he's going to share with you what the Father and the Son want shared. So he did not leave it to man's fallible memory either. Earlier on in John, chapter 14, verse 26, it talks about how he will teach you things to come and bring to your remembrance all that I taught you. In the last three years, can you remember everything that Leland has preached? No. I don't remember everything that Leland preached. So, you think about if you were one of the apostles, every day for three years, you are there at the feet of Jesus. And what an amazing and momentous thing that would have been. And you would have been just enthralled by what you're hearing. But even if you were there, you would not have remembered absolutely everything Jesus said. Jesus did not leave it to men's judgments and their thoughts and their opinions when it came to salvation, the church, the truth, whatever that God wants us to know. No, men of God, chosen messengers, spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what Jesus is promising here, that the Spirit is going to declare to you all that you need to know and what the world needs to know. It is of divine authority. 
you know, what the message of Christ received and what they taught was not from nor according to human wisdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, also brings out the importance of us understanding the nature of inspired scriptures, how it got to us from the apostles and prophets of Christ. And so in verse 12, he says, Now we have received, this is Paul, including others, he says, We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is not just a feeling. The spirit is a being. The spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us, God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom. So the truth, the word they spoke, was wisdom from God. He says, but it was that, that which was taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Even earlier on in the ministry, you see in Matthew chapter 16 and in Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus promised the apostles that they would have the authority to bind and to unbind because they will bind and unbind what had already been bound and unbound in heaven. They are being granted authority from God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit to relay to us God's word, God's will, God's way. So apostles and prophets of Christ have directed us and are directing us in regard to spiritual matters according to Christ's authority. Not according to their authority. It doesn't originate with them. It originates with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That's why they could be described in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, as ambassadors of Christ. Yeah. They were the initial ambassador of Christ in the first century, bringing the authority of the Lord, the authority of the king to the world so that we could know what was once a mystery but is no longer a mystery but is unveiled to us so we can grow in the knowledge of God and Christ Jesus. So what they spoke was God's words. In 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, as Paul writes to that church in that city, that body and congregate of believers, he reminds them uh, of what they had received. And you look there in verse 13, he says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you receive the, you know, the word of God, remember, Thessalonica was one of those places Paul had gone on one of his preaching trips, on one of those missionary journeys. He'd gone there, and he had broken ground. He preached the gospel there as he traveled from place to place. And he says, he, I'm right, he says, you, when, when you heard, he says, and you received this word, he says, you accepted it not as the word of men. Because you received it not just because it came out of my mouth. Because Paul was just a man in one sense. 
but a man that was chosen, a man of God that was chosen to be a messenger of God, a messenger of Christ. And so when he spoke and preached that gospel and he revealed that uh, revelation, they understood what was coming out of Paul's mouth, what was coming out of the mouth of his co-workers was not just their words. He goes on to say, but for what it really is, the word of God. We need to remind ourselves of that. And we need to remind one another of that. And we need to remind our children of that. That this Bible that we study on a regular basis and that we adhere to is really the word of God. Which performs its work in you who believe. It changes the believer that conforms to that will and way of Christ. And they take on the image of Christ. The instructions that have come to us through Christ's apostles and Christ's prophets carried the weight of authority. Why? Not because it was them personally, but because they were chosen men to speak what was authoritative. It was according to God's wisdom. It was from Christ. And that's why over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we see that Christians were commanded to hold to that message. Picking up there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 13 through verse 15. He says, We should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And so you have a summation of their conversion and their transformation that is at work here. And so he's he's giving God thanks, the fact that these people believed and were converted and are now being transformed and conform to the image of Christ. Verse 14. It was for this he called you through our gospel. So w- what was the means by which they were sanctified and converted? It was through the gospel. He says, you were called through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, he says, now that you are Saved now that you're redeemed, now that you're added to the household of God, now that you are a disciple of Jesus and follower of Christ in, in this truest sense, he says, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by letter from us. So what the apostles and prophets, as they were guided by the Holy Spirit and spoke God's word, the wisdom from above, whether it was in person or by a letter, whether they said it to you, to your face, or they wrote it down and sent it to you, he says, you need to stand firm in that. You need to hold to that. Why is that? Because that message that came through their lips was truly the word of God. And churches of the Lord that were scattered throughout the world at that time we're all being taught the same thing. It's not like different churches were being taught different things by different apostles or different prophets. No, all of those guided by the Holy Spirit were being taught the same thing. 
And so the same teaching was applicable because they were all guided by the same Holy Spirit. And that's emphasized, for example, in 1 Corinthians 16, in verse, verse 1, where it talks about the laying by in store and the things that he's instructing the church at Corinth there in the 16th chapter, he says, I also directed the churches of Galatia. And basically, Paul is saying, I'm not telling you anything different from what I've already told brethren elsewhere. I'm telling you the same thing that I told the church in Galatia. Very similarly, you see a similar statement in Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, where Paul does a comparison. In chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, he says, However, let this keep lip, you know, let us keep living by the same standard to which we obtain. Brethren, join and follow my example. Observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. He says, You need to see the pattern I've laid down here. He says, I'm not showing you anything different than what I've already shown others. So, in a practical sense now, we understand what we have in front of us is God's word and a, a message that where he used men, chosen men, apostles and prophets of the New Testament to convey and communicate his will, his way, his message to us. And so, very impressive, we see that God binds his laws through both specific and generic instructions. Now, these instructions, whether specific or generic, they're going to be communicated. He may tell us specifically or generically. He may show us specifically or generically. Or he may imply it as well. But he's through those means of communication, he's going to specify some things. And then he's going to generalize some other things. And so that authority is communicated to us, and it is bound on us through those kind of communication. What do we mean by specific? Well, very simply, it is a very specific instruction or prohibition ordained by God. Very simple. And when a specific commandment or ordinance or precept is revealed... When God has specified that, that specification is authorized. That's what God wants, or that's what God doesn't want specifically, and all else is excluded. And so therefore, we're not, we are not at liberty to change what God's or Christ's specific directives are. But we compare that to generic or general divine authority, where you're talking about a general instruction that uh, is from God authorizing a work of some kind or an expectation. So God gives instruction in a general way, and, and so what do we mean by it? Well, he's authorized this particular task, and because of the general nature of that task, we find that you know, this particular activity allows the congregation or even maybe in your personal life, the individual Christian to make some judgments to be able to carry out that task while remaining within that authority without changing what God said. And so with generic authority, with just general instruction, the spiritually mature in Christ must choose the most effective, helpful way to do the Lord's prescribed work. The work that he's described, how, how can we carry that out? So let's look at two examples as we bring this lesson to a close. 
First of all, we see disciples are specifically commanded to preach the gospel and teach the Lord's commandments. So you go back to the Great Commission, which we began with in our introduction. The idea that the gospel is to go to the world. The world needs to know what God's laws are in Christ Jesus. They need to know, you know how they can be saved and how they can have fellowship with their creator. They need to know all of this. And so we see that you know, they are specifically commanded to teach the Lord's words. We are not at liberty to teach a different gospel. We're not at liberty to do that. In Galatians chapter 1, we are warned and we are told about there in the churches of Galatia that that was happening, that there were men teaching something that was not according to the one true gospel. And so he says in chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, he says, I'm amazed that you're quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. And he goes, which really there's not another gospel. There's not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So there are some aspects of their teaching that was not right according to what the apostles and prophets of Christ have spoken. And he says in verse 8, those who do that, you know, whoever they are, he says, they will be accursed. So we are specifically told to speak and teach and preach the gospel, the Lord's commandments. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, 15, it talks about how you know, the household of God, the church of the living God, is the pillar and support of truth. It's not about promoting men's philosophies. That's not what the church is about. The church is the blood-bought institution of saved souls, and their work is to proclaim what? The message of salvation. Not the philosophies and reasonings of men. And yet, that command to proclaim the gospel everywhere has some generic aspects to it. There, it, it is, there is this general nature component to it as well. Because going and teaching in different places to different people is going to call for some decisions that have to be made by churches and individuals. And they have to use wisdom to say, okay, you know, how am I going to get there? And you know, where am I going to go? So you've talked about the idea of the modes of travel or what opportunities are you going to try to make the most of as well as what are the methods of teaching? You know, public teaching in an assembly, private teaching you know, in a more you know, intimate setting, or whether it's the usage of technology you know, to teach you know, when you're not in person, or to use such a thing as a PowerPoint you know, to help you to visualize what I'm talking about. All of that falls within the general instruction of God's authority. But we can't change the message. We're specifically told what we're to be teaching. And what we're to be holding to. And what we're to be practicing. One more example. Over in Ephesians 5, 
Christians are commanded, Christians are commanded to praise God by singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. And so there in the fifth chapter, verse 18, he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So we, you know, we are commanded to praise God through singing. And the Lord specifies here that it is your heart It is your heart that is the instrument that accompanies you when you sing. That's the accompaniment, not mechanical musical instruments. Sing and make melody with your heart to the Lord, not with some other kind of instrument, but the instrument that God gave you that's within you. He also specifies here the genre of songs. What kind of songs are we to be singing? He says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Appropriate songs in worship of God. Yeah. And so it's not about pop music or folk music or whatever kind of music that may be you know, to your liking or my liking. It's about songs that communicate the proper message in worshiping God and building up one another. But with this command, there are some generic aspects to it in the sense that as we sing and praise God, which Paul also writes over in Colossians 3, communicating the same kind of message, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Yes, has there been some specifications? Right. He specified what instrument you use when you sing, and specify what songs, what kind of songs you are to be singing. But, The usage of a psalm book or the use of a PowerPoint or whether we stand or sit, those all fall within the idea of generic authority. The most effective way for us to be able to come together and and in unison be able to sing and praise God together without changing God's instruction, without violating the Lord's commandment, we're able to decide which is going to be the best way for us together to carry out God's command. And so we make decisions that fall within that realm of authority. But we must do so, as Paul writes, you know, with an attitude of reverence and orderliness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you have Paul instructing the church there about their assembly And he says, let all things be done to edification, but also let all things be done decently and in order. Why is that? Well, it's because it's about worshiping God. It's not about entertaining us. It's not about, you know, know, creating a, just a, a great emotional, recreational moment. No, it's about coming before the God of heaven 
and presenting our hearts, our voices, our lives, our souls in worship to him. So God chose, God chose men to be the messengers of that message. And he chose that they would not only speak it and teach it in person in their lifetime, but he chose that they would write it down. And through God's providence, he would preserve that message for all generations to come so that we can know God, but also we can know God's will. We can know God's way. And we need to understand the power of that word and the importance of his authority in all facets of our life. That same message is calling each and every one of us to God. It is calling us to submit our will to his will. And that message has the power to change a believer's life. And to take that new life and transform it into the image of the Son of God himself. The power is in the word, because that word is God's word, and God's word gives life. Do you believe Jesus to be the Christ, the son of the living God? If you do, if you truly believe, but you've not rendered obedience to the commands of Jesus, we want to encourage you to do that today. Don't wait. Today. Confess your faith with your mouth unashamedly before others that you believe that Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, that he was raised on the third day. And with that confession, repent of your sins and be buried with Jesus in baptism to be raised to walk into the life because that is the Lord's will. Will you do that? Will you do that today? If you are a Christian, but there's sin in your life that you have not repented of, You've not made right with your Father and with your Savior and with the Spirit. If we can assist you in some way spiritually to pray with you, to pray for you, whatever your spiritual need may be, please come now as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.